On the block, on demand. They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, Stone Cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win by 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take his shot, throwing in zone, he's got weapons, touchdown! They didn't look in the group, they didn't look in the champions this is on the block here is your host brent axe ah the air here on espn radio 97.7 100.1 espn radio Utica, Rome. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board. As always, you can listen online. They do have the internet on computers now, ESPNSyracuse.com. You can listen via the ESPN app as well. The easiest way to do that is to download the app, hit the listen tab, and where you go, we shall go with you, my friends. It is just as easy as that. Here is how you participate. In this here radio program, 437-7644. That's the phone number, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. So, lots of ways to get in touch with the show. We uh, checked the text line yesterday, found some old messages from all sorts of people. Daniel Baldwin, great listeners, great comments. My niece texted in. It was a beautiful thing. So, you never know who's going to use the the on-the-block text line, 288 0644 is how you use that. So, it's coming up today. It's a Thursday, and every Thursday during the college basketball season, we check in with the head coach, Jim Beheim, who will not only talk basketball with us today. Jim went to the Bruce Springsteen show, Springsteen on Broadway, which just extended its run by another six months. I did not get in the first time. You better bet your bottom dollar that I will get in the second run if I know he's going to be there through June. But we will talk to somebody who already knows. So we will test the theater skills of one Jim Bayon. Can he review a Broadway show? He is a Hall of Fame basketball coach. He is a man of many talents. He is a foodie. He is someone who can opine on a lot of things in sports and life and otherwise. What is Jim Beheim's Bruce Springsteen on Broadway review? We will ask him that later in the program. Preview Colgate, review UConn, and that stretch that Syracuse just went through and all the things with the head coach. We are also going to chat with Howard Dolgan, the owner of the Syracuse Crunch. The white-hot Syracuse Crunch, who obliterated the Utica Comets last night. In a Galaxy Cup game, game two of 12, so I'm sure the Comets will get him back a couple of times. But last night, the crunch all over the Comets. They have now won seven games in a row. And, you know, at first, we were kind of joking about this, and all these games have not been at home. But Howard switched up that goal song, and ever since then, the crunch can't stop scoring. Sometimes, man, if you believe in this stuff, it can happen for you. 
So how much does Howard Dolgan credit his decision to change the goal song for the recent success? Always great to catch up with Howard. We will do that. We'll do some hot takes as usual. Mike Hopkins and your Washington Huskies with a huge win last night. Big program-changing win for Mike and a team that Syracuse just saw recently. We'll ask Coach Beheim about that later as well. But is there a person who follows this program that isn't somehow connected with Syracuse, be it a fan, a media, or anybody you put under that umbrella, who is not happy for Mike Hopkins today that he got that win? And I don't know if you saw the video out there. His players kind of gave him like a water bottle shower when he came in. It was great to see. And you got to be happy for Mike Hopkins. We'll get into that in Syracuse's next opponent lost a game. (laughs) Oh, man. The way that game ended, the way we thought that they won but did not, just a wild story. So we'll get into that with Colgate here. But I do want to start with something that Seth mentioned in the update. Very interesting news on the Syracuse football front. So it was reported earlier today, Matt Fortuna, who used to work for ESPN, he now works for The Athletic, And he's very well connected. He covers all of college football, but he's very well connected with Notre Dame. And Matt reported that the Syracuse-Notre Dame game scheduled for next year. Now, this was going to be in South Bend. I happen to know a lot of people that were excited to make that trip. Now, the last time Syracuse went to South Bend, that was the Greg Robinson game. He was a lame duck. We knew that Greg Robinson's days as the head coach of the Orange, were finally over, thankfully. But Syracuse goes to South Bend that day and beats Notre Dame. And they were throwing snowballs on the field. I think that was one of Charlie Weiss's last games as the head coach, if I remember correctly. And Antoine Bailey had a huge day. And, hey, Syracuse won. So if you were looking forward to that trip to South Bend next year, well, you can still go. You just won't see a football game. You won't see Syracuse play Notre Dame at South Bend in 2018 as originally scheduled. Syracuse and Notre Dame are still going to play on November 17th, 2018, but they will now play at Yankee Stadium. That was made official by Syracuse earlier this afternoon. So Matt reported it, citing uh, several sources have told him it's a thing. Syracuse confirmed it with a release just about an hour ago. Here's what Dino Baber said in that release. Quote, Yankee Stadium is one of the great venues in all of sports. To play a fantastic opponent like Notre Dame in that building closer to home, I think is exciting for our fans. As coaches and players, it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience and something we're very much looking forward to. Now, Syracuse has played at Yankee Stadium Eight times in its history. Of course, we know the pinstripe bowls. You go back to beating Notre Dame 14-7, Thanksgiving Day 1963, and there was a lot of controversy surrounding that game that they even played that game because it was less than a week after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Jim Nance, Rich King, those names sound familiar, right? That game and... You know, there's other Syracuse-Notre Dame games in history and other Syracuse games at Yankee Stadium. And now we know that's well the, that is where, pardon me, they will play next year. 
So what do you think about this? Because it's hard for me to be critical of it. When I saw that they traded South Bend for Yankee Stadium, they're both really cool places to play football. One is South Bend. Now, Notre Dame Stadium's recently been renovated. So if you went to Syracuse and Notre Dame in 2008, you would say, I'd been there, done that, had some people tweet at me and say, yeah, I was there, it was okay. I think people that are Notre Dame fans find that pilgrimage a little more exciting. I think people that watched Rudy or, you know, all the great history of Notre Dame and all the lineage and all the tradition, they're into that kind of thing. But if you're just impartial and you go, I think sometimes you're like, well, what's the big deal? Like, you know, you go certain places that people hold in higher regard, but if you're just going, you're like, that's it, right? So it was an interesting mix of reviews, especially from the Syracuse perspective. And hey, they won the game. So if you think you've been there and done that, I mean, you probably mostly have. They've renovated the stadium, though, so that looks a little different. But Yankee Stadium, okay. I think a lot of Syracuse fans, when they heard that today, they're like, okay, it's cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's Like I said, I, I fall just short of the line where I'm going to be like, what are you doing? If they went back to Met Life, I mean, think of conversations we'd be having on the radio right now. People would be throwing things, even though this was a game scheduled to be at Notre Dame. That was interesting. I put a poll up on Twitter today. And what's more accurate than a Twitter poll on my page, right? But just, you know, for perspective on this, I said, where would you like to see Syracuse play Notre Dame next year? And the choices were the two choices that you would think, either where it was originally scheduled in South Bend or at Yankee Stadium. Now, a number of people, as tends to happen on Twitter, and I enjoy the wise-assery, if you will, a lot of people did answer the Carrier Dome. And I'm like, while I appreciate that, and you are going to see that in 2022, that's the next time Syracuse and Notre Dame are scheduled to play at the Dome. It's not an option. This is not one of those moving a home game situations. This was a game scheduled at South Bend. That's what people got fired up about the MetLife Stadium discussions and why that ended in that series. Think about this. That series was supposed to go on to like 2030. They were supposed to play another, my math might be off a little bit here, but at least another five or six games there before, you know, previous administration shut it down. And last year's game, ironically, against Notre Dame, was the last time they will play there, at least as part of a regularly scheduled series at MetLife. But that was a whole different discussion because they had moved home games or the perception was that they had moved home games or they're scheduling neutral site games and these big opponents that could have been, in theory, home games. This is not the case here. This was a game that was supposed to be at South Bend. So per that poll, and let's see, it's still up and you can still vote in it. These Twitter polls stay up for a day. With just over 500 votes, 59% of you say Yankee Stadium. 41% of you say South Bend. So certainly a majority would rather it be at Yankee Stadium. I guess it depends on where you're voting from. If you're somebody in central New York, I mean, let's think about this. You can either fly to Chicago and drive to South Bend. You can take that nice scenic about 10-hour drive, and it's not a very uh, entertaining drive through that part of the country. I'll just say that. But I got to tell you, I'm a little bummed. I was looking forward to going on this trip next year because I think you just got to do it. And I would never go to South Bend unless they were playing Syracuse. I would have no desire to go. If I ended up doing it at some point, 
you know, that's one thing. But I would never have the motivation to go to South Bend unless they were playing Syracuse. That's why I'm bummed that they canceled that Wisconsin series. I wanted to go to Madison because I've heard Madison, Wisconsin is one of the great college football environments out there. And when we have those discussions, we we'll, we'll always talk about SEC schools and Syracuse goes to some of these great environments like Clemson had the opportunity to go out of conference and play LSU at LSU. So it's not like Syracuse doesn't have these great opportunities, but I think you need that one marquee game a year in non-conference. I completely understand and completely now support. I used to have a different opinion on this, but I get it now and I see why you have to do it. Why you would, at least in theory, lighten the load in non-conference play. But I still think you need one game, even in non-conference play, as hard as your ACC slate is. That is attractive. That is fun. That is big-time college football. Next year, that was going to be Notre Dame. Your other non-conference games next year are Western Michigan, UConn. So that was the game. And it was late in the season, by the way. You didn't get it out of the way before a non-conference play. It was in November. So now it's at Yankee Stadium. So if you're from Syracuse, that's a shorter drive. If you're an alum in the New York City area and, and down that way, it's a shorter drive. It is a been there, done that kind of thing, though. At least there'll be a different opponent this time. But it is a been there, done that kind of thing. It's still Yankee Stadium. It's still an amazing venue. It's still really cool to see football games played in these stadiums. You know, Fenway Park is hosting football games now. Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field. And to see these old stadiums, or in this case, newer stadiums, but modeled after the old ones, do concerts, that's cool. It's, it's, it's interesting to see these things. But I'm curious where you kind of sit on this, because, I mean, my poll is not everything, but just the, the reaction that I've seen and heard so far on this is kind of mixed like that. But really, at the heart of it, given a choice between the two, would you rather see Syracuse play Notre Dame at South Bend? And see, you know, you talk about the attraction of it. Well, it's a unique game, and it's at Yankee Stadium, and it, it will attract the television audience and all these things, and you're not wrong about that. But, see, you you can play Notre Dame on the moon, and that game's going to be on primetime on NBC or ESPN, or, you know, Notre Dame is always on. That's the beauty of playing Notre Dame. You could schedule them, and you could play at West Genesee High School, and it's going to get huge attention because of who the opponent is. It'll be very interesting to see where Syracuse is as a program at that point because we know the struggles that they have had in November, late in the season, keeping Eric Dungy healthy. He'll be in his senior year coming down the stretch. Will this be a game that Syracuse needs on November 17th to get bowl eligible next year? You wouldn't think so, but... This could be a pretty big game, and now you're playing it on a neutral field that favors you more, in theory, right, than at South Bend, which can be a pretty tough place to play. So is it a fair trade in your mind? Did that game become more interesting to you? Because when you play Notre Dame, that's always a high-ticket item. But at Yankee Stadium, I'll say this, it's better than MetLife. At least it's in New York and has that feel and that whole whatever they called it, the Big Apple Classic or whatever name they tried to put on this, and Syracuse has really backed off this New York's college team thing, but now they're kind of right back into it. So one way or the other, is it a is it a, is it a fair trade? Is it an upgrade or is it a downgrade to you? 
I don't want to call it a downgrade because playing at Yankee Stadium, even this Red Sox fan can look at that and say, okay, that's pretty neat. 437-7644. The text line is 2880644. Was kind of looking forward to going to South Bend, though. Now, I got to. Here's, here's the trade off here. Syracuse is in a regular rotation playing Notre Dame now pretty much every four years. So they play this game at Yankee Stadium now. Notre Dame comes to the Dome in 2022. And then in 2025 and 2026, at least it's scheduled right now, Syracuse will be in South Bend again. So. You can still go. You just got to wait another eight years now. That's all. I mean, my kid's going to be graduating high school at that point. What's life going to be like then? All right, so that's interesting on the football front. We can discuss that. I want to get into a little hoops, though. A former Syracuse coach gets a huge win, and their future opponent, as in two days from now, played a game last night. Seemingly won a game, but lost a game in as wild a fashion as you will see. If you didn't hear what happened to Colgate, we've got to talk about that next. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. On the Block is presented by Burdick Toyota. Great to have you here on this Thursday. We're going to talk to the head coach coming up next hour, Jim Beheim. We're going to talk to Howard Dolgan coming up. Top of the hour, the white-hot Syracuse Crunch. They've won seven straight. They are lighting the lamp. It's all that goal song, baby. I'm sure Howard will take all the credit for that. Took him too long to get rid of his awful goal song before that. Better late than never, as they say. Right now, hit me with that fancy open, because it's hot take time. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for hot takes on the block. We have a Doug Marone baloney update, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to the hot deli hot desk. I just made that up to get the latest, or we should have like some music for this. There you go. So we told you about the, uh, which we well knew, by the way. Syracuse fans certainly well aware of uh, Doug Marone's affinity for baloney. So as it turns out, somebody shipped Doug Marone. <laughs> this is great. So somebody shipped Doug Marone 350 pounds of bologna due to the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach's affinity for the deli meat. Uh, here it is from the Associated Press. Doug Marone's love of bologna will end up feeding about 300 people. The Jacksonville Jaguars coach donated 350 pounds of beef bologna Wednesday to an organization that distributes food to local charities. It was actually more like 330 pounds after Marone kept some for himself. You got to keep a little of that stuff, right? Uh, Marone's obsession with the lunch meat has become an interesting and now benevolent storyline for the Jags who sit at 8-4. and four. Quote, Marone, I've probably eaten more bologna than anybody in the world who's my age. The former Bills and Syracuse head coach disclosed 
his fondness for baloney following an overtime win against the Chargers. Now, he disclosed that to us and to Bills fans before that, but they're just starting to get to know this in Jacksonville. Uh, Marone, who's 53, said bologna and cheese sandwiches are his go-to meal after games. Look, to each his own. Like I said on yesterday's show and we discussed this, if I make Doug Marone money or Dino Babers money or Jim Beheim money, I'm not eating bologna and cheese after a game. I'm not eating fried noodles after a game. The ramen noodles. Dino calls them fried noodles. Thanks, Brent. Uh-uh. That ain't happening in my house. To each his own, what you eat is what you eat, but of all things to get shipped to you. Now, when you are in that position, you get free stuff. So can you think of something that you would rather discuss if you're in Doug Marone's position? It's great that they donated to a local food charity and this all works out at the end, but I mean, it's baloney, right? Can you imagine like being at that shelter and they're like, we got this huge donation. The head coach of the Jaguars got us all this food. You're like, oh, wow, are we going to eat well for once? And it's like, here's your bologna. It's like, that's what we eat here every day. <laughs> Doug Marone talk about his affinity for steak next time or shrimp. Or <laughs> I'll even take a good cheeseburger, right? That's hot. Imagine being at that shelter. You eat bologna every day. Hey, guess what? We got 300 pounds of more bologna. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks, Doug. I just find that so interesting. And by the way, anybody want to dispute Marone on that one? 53 years old, eat more bologna than a 53-year-old man on the planet. I, I, I'm not going to, you know, I don't think we need to fact check that one. I'm going to believe you on that one. I'm going to go with you on that, Doug. So did you hear Tennessee finally as a coach? They found some baking soda and put out that grease fire at Tennessee. The volunteers have hired Alabama defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt, 43, two-time Broyles Award finalist as the top assistant coach in college football. He possesses two of the qualities that new athletic director and former Tennessee coach Phil Fulmer put a premium on in his search, a tough-minded defensive presence and a proven track record as a recruiter, there's a third unknown quality to this hire. He's not Greg Schiano. That's hot. Congratulations to Tennessee on finally finding a coach. After what has to be in a wild college football world, okay, we have seen coaches. Randy Edsel left basically, he left his team on a plane and took another job. Remember that whole thing with Maryland? Like he didn't even fly home with them from the Fiesta Bowl. And there's... If we went through the crazy stories, Willie Taggart just this week leaves on a recruiting trip and never came home. Now he's the head coach of Florida State. That's how these things go down. It's crazy. You try and keep it cloak and dagger. Scott Frost got asked about it on the field after his team went undefeated and beat Memphis in the conference championship game. Like an hour later, there's a press release that he's the head coach at Nebraska. Nebraska made that deal and held to it. Look, when Mark Coyle hired Dino Babers here, I think we all knew going into that MAC championship game that he was going to be the head coach here. You got to be sensitive about these things when you have a team that's playing a game, particularly a championship game, and you know, then the next day you announce the details of it and it's all good. But Tennessee, the social media mob that came from that, and Clay Travis firing everybody up, and Shiano gets dumped, which by the way, just to circle back on that, I didn't blame them for that. Greg Shiano's not a good hire. 
But the way that they linked him to the Penn State thing and the garbage that that was, and then anybody that you wanted after that that was worth his salt saw what happened at Tennessee. They're like, I'm not going to take that job. And they went through all these big names, the John Gruden thing that was never going to happen, but you know he teased them for a couple of weeks. And Look, Jeremy Pruitt might be a good hire. I'd like to see a chart. I, I forgot to look this up before we went on the air. I want to see all the Saban assistants and how they have done. Because here you have yet another Nick Saban guy who moves on. Now, Kirby Smart is doing great at Georgia. Jimbo Fisher is a former Nick Saban assistant. This is back at LSU. But you look at the tree of Nick Saban and Belichick assistants, they don't always flourish as head coaches. They're all successful coaches in one walk of life or the other, be it assistant, college, coordinator, you know, but a lot of these guys don't make the leap. Now, Josh McDaniels is going to be a head coach in the NFL next year, but when he got a shot to be an NFL head coach as the guru, young gun guy, as Belichick's assistant, it didn't work out. He'll get another shot, though. Lane Kiffin keeps getting head coaching jobs. It's amazing how some people continue to get hired and will always kind of be in that hamster wheel of names that will come up for coaching jobs. So I wish Jeremy Pruitt well. I think they'll like that hire because he's got that Nick Saban Alabama pedigree to him. He's the 26th head coach in Tennessee history, but we got a real good litmus test of how that fan base is, how they treat things, and how quickly they go south on you if they don't like something about you as a coach or who you are. That's hot. You know, if you're Greg Schiano, you're going to get paid, I don't know how much. They haven't put the details out on this, but you're going to get paid to be the head coach of Tennessee for about five minutes. God bless America, right? Well, the Cleveland Browns made a move, firing Sashi Brown, their executive vice president of football operations. He headed the personnel department for the past two years. Now, you got to remember, this is the guy who came in a couple of years ago. They're changing everything, and it's analytics, and he brought in uh, De Podesta, the baseball guy who was in you know the hardball movie. Played by, oh boy, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I know Brad Pitt played Billy Bean. Who's the guy that played Jonah Hill, right? He played De Podesta. So Cleveland tried this whole thing. Have you actually seen this movie, Seth? I've Is that why Money you're coming? Ball. You yeah. have seen Moneyball. Did I get uh, that Jonah, right? Jonah Hill. That's what I said, Jonah yeah. Hill. Okay. Except except Paul D. Podesta didn't let his name be used, so they had to make up But that's take. the character yeah. he played. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry, Good. I came in before I heard you say the Good name. Good clarification. So I wanted there. to help you. Good clarification there. Seth Goldberg has seen that movie. Lady. Good job. Good job, Seth. Fantastic. That is always actually interesting news when Seth has seen a movie that the rest of us have seen. Anyway, by the way, uh, that movie, Moneyball, I called it Hardball a minute ago, Moneyball, surprisingly rewatchable movie. I found myself watching Moneyball when it's been on the last couple of months. That's a good movie. That's one of those movies you see the first time. Like, that was pretty good. Surprisingly rewatchable. So, side note there. So, Cleveland tried this whole approach. Didn't work. Now, the interesting thing is they're getting rid of him. They are not getting rid of Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson, who is 1-27 as the head coach there, will be back next year. Now, let's grow another branch on this tree. Jimmy Haslam. The owner, who, by the way, was heavily involved in the Tennessee search as well. That trial and that situation is still going on with his 
He's got a truck stop empire. Was it a flying J, I think? So that's how Jimmy Haslam made his billions. He's got all those, he's got the truck stop chain and a couple other businesses that he's involved in. They're still investigating him for fraud, and he might, uh, my guess is he'll probably maintain control, but it's on the table that he can lose that team. So what happens then? Cleveland has just, since they have come back in the National Football League, have tried every approach, and none of it works. Since 1999, the Browns have had eight general managers or similar roles, which is the most in the NFL in that span, as you can imagine. This is a franchise that had a shot at Carson Wentz, basically laughed it off, could have had Deshaun Watson, didn't do that. But they've stockpiled all these draft picks, they have all these all this ca- uh, salary cap space as well. The Browns have six extra picks in the upcoming draft. They have a first-round pick, two second rounds, a fourth, and a fifth. They have $59 million in cap space that they can roll over to next year. And they are already scheduled to have another $38.6 million of cap room. That's $100 million in salary cap space. So they did their job there. They just can't identify talent and bring it in. I mean, they basically scoffed at the notion of taking Carson Wentz. Their scouts hated him. And they ended up trading back and... The way things end up, they get Deshaun Kaiser, who they rated higher than Deshaun Watson. And it, look, it's all a crapshoot. There was a lot of personnel people that thought the Indianapolis Colts were idiots for not taking Ryan Leaf back in the day over Peyton Manning. It's just you know, all how it goes. But it is amazing to me in the National Football League, where it's always your turn at some point, that the Browns can just be consistently this awful. 0-12 this year, 1-27 with Brown in control. We mentioned Hugh Jackson as head coach. Just go back to when they failed to trade for A.J. McCarron right before the trade deadline because they didn't get the paperwork in on time. It's I, I have friends of mine that work in Cleveland in sports talk radio, and I, I've had these conversations. One of them is our buddy Anthony Lima, who we have on the show. Chris Fedor, who we have on the show to cover the Cavs. And we've talked about this on the air, and I'm like, there's only so many ways you can describe how awful an organization is. That's hot. Well, at least the Bills actually win football games, right? Like, they are still, in this moment, in the playoff hunt. They are as much of a grease fire as they can be. Like, I can count on the Bills actually winning games. Like, how do you write it in? You can schedule the Browns to be 1-15 every year. 0-16 is in play, 2-14, and 14, and now we're partying in Cleveland. Like, for a proud city that loves its football that much, how do they keep showing up to watch this garbage? That's a great stadium. I've been to that stadium. Saw the Browns play the Patriots there a few years ago. It's all set up for them. Cap space, they've got an owner that spends money, they've got all these smart people in the front office. They had a movie made about them. By the way, Draft Day, also surprisingly rewatchable movie. Draft Day was on, It was just, I think it was just this week. It was recently. I was finding myself watching Draft Day again. I was like, this wasn't as bad as I thought. The first time around, I was not impressed with it. But you go back a couple of times, like, okay, not bad. Not bad. I wouldn't watch the whole thing. Like last night, The Godfather 2 was on. It's like, okay, I'm in, right? You don't pick and choose the Godfather. You got to go all the way. But like draft day, 
the last 20 minutes of that movie is really good, and uh, Moneyball was surprisingly rewatchable. It's interesting when these movies show up again, particularly sports movies. You're like, oh, wait, that's, that's pretty good. So the Browns have had all this happen for them, yet they're still probably the model of as the worst. And if it's not them, who is it? Who's the worst run professional sports franchise today of the big four? It's got to be Cleveland, right? If it's not, they're in the top three. So what's this going to do? You're going to fire this guy. You're going to bring in some other guru, and two years from now, we're still going to be here. That's why, you know, I'm going to take a break on this now. We're going to get Howard Dolgan on top of the hour. We've got Jim Beheim next hour. We've got a bunch to do coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But this is why, remember that came up with Sam Darnold, that he might sit this one out and go back to school because he could end up in Cleveland? Well, he's screwed because, well, it's not like Cleveland's not going to be back here next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. They're just lock them in. Top five pick every year. It's incredible. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Howard Dolgan, top of the hour. Jim Beheim next hour, as we mentioned. We'd love to hear from you at 437-7644. The text line is 288-0644. Hang in there, baby. You're back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.